If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Forever. Dog. Hey, y'all. My name is Alex Berg, and welcome to the LGBTQ Nation podcast. LGBTQ Nation is the world's leader in LGBTQ news and commentary. And every week, we focus on major topics affecting the queer community and speak with the nation's brightest thinkers, journalists, activists, politicians, and more. Republicans in Georgia recently passed a bill overhauling the state's elections, instituting restrictions that President Joe Biden condemned as Jim Crow in the 21st century. When Representative Park Cannon, a Black queer lawmaker, knocked on Governor Brian Kemp's door as he was signing the bill into law, she was arrested and dragged out of the Capitol. Representative Cannon is joining me today to talk about the law, how she's doing, and her path to being elected as the youngest member of the state's legislature in 2016. But first, LGBTQ Nation reporter Molly Spray-Reagan is joining to to chat about one of my favorite topics, lesbian visibility in honor of Lesbian Visibility Week, as well as a few stories she's been covering. Welcome, Molly. Happy Lesbian Visibility Week and belated Happy Lesbian Visibility Day. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I got such a thrill this week when I saw Lesbian Visibility Day as the top trend on Twitter. I feel like there's a narrative that young people aren't identifying as lesbian as much. But I saw so much pride out there. Yeah, I think that there is maybe this like movement to even take back the word now more than there used to be. There was a little bit of time over the past maybe even five years or so when a lot of people were kind of straying away from that word. But I do feel like I've been seeing a lot more pride in that word and, and even a lot more people very passionately wanting to take that word back because they know that some people are straying away from it. Yeah, I think in particular, I love a lot of like the nostalgic photos and stuff. I saw people posting and tweets that people were making and tributes to lesbian communities that have, you know, really held them up and carried them through. So I in particular loved that. But I still feel like I, I feel like one of the reasons why Lesbian Visibility Day is important is because it does feel like there isn't as much lesbian visibility as we get say, gay men in pop culture or politics. So I do feel like it is something that still is needed. Um, and it just made me happy to see people really embracing it, like globally tweeting about it. Absolutely. It's just so joyful. One of my favorite pictures that I see every, every year on Lesbian Visibility Day is a, a pair of protesters holding up a sign that says a day without lesbians is a day is like a day without sunshine. I want to like blow up that poster and hang it on my wall. I think it's amazing. Because <laughs> it is true. A day without lesbians is like a day without sunshine. I have to say that is also just one of my favorites. And as someone who identifies as a lesbian, and it's just a, a joyful day. It made me so happy to just feel celebrated all day and all week, it seems. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was saying that I learned that it is not just Lesbian Visibility Day. There's actually programming all week long. Um, and 
so if you just Google or uh, hit the web, I'm sure that um, our listeners can find out more about it. But I want to talk about a couple of stories that you recently covered, beginning with North Dakota's governor vetoing an anti-trans bill. Mm -hmm. This one in particular sought to bar trans girls from playing girls sports. Um, Now, we've seen other Republican governors veto these bills, but for calculated reasons. But this time it sounds like it's a little different. Yeah. And, and, you know, this week, there's been a lot of anti-trans bills that have either stalled or have been vetoed by governors. So it's North Dakota, it's Missouri, Florida, Montana, North Carolina. You know, legislatures are kind of deciding to set them aside for various reasons or governors are vetoing them. So, of course, some of the bills are still passing if the vetoes are being overridden. But it does seem like the reasons that are being cited for some of these bills not passing, as you said, are a little bit different. Even Republican lawmakers are saying things like, you know, we need to reassess whether these undermine the basic humanity of of transgender people. And, you know, people are worried about the toll it will have on the mental health of transgender youth and things that are, it it seems as though those conversations are happening a little bit more. That feels like a pivot from the past couple of months where we've just seen so many anti-trans bills that have just completely sidelined the voices of young trans people and have really painted this image of trans kids as uh, as monstrous, um, you know, Mm -hmm. so um, disgustingly so. It's surprising to me now, and I guess it speaks to the activism and the pushback that a lot of these bills are getting, that now Republicans are, uh, Republican governors are changing their minds. Yeah, absolutely. I think in one of the pieces I wrote about all of this, I quoted a, a tweet from ACLU lawyer Trey Strangio, who said, you know, we have trans organizers and activists to thank for what's been going on. You know, it is their tireless work that is helping change minds. And I think that that's always really important to remember. There are still so many scary bills that are either passing or still being considered and really scary things still happening. But I also think it's, it's important to celebrate some of these victories as well. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. I mean, it has felt like so much doom and gloom. And then I think that there is the whole reason behind I feel like why I cover these things to begin with is because I'm hopeful that the tide can change. So I just really hear you on that point. Another story that is a reason for hope is that the Biden administration continues to appoint LGBTQ plus people to various positions of power. Mm -hmm. The White House is going to nominate uh, a lesbian and a trans woman for two posts in the Department of Defense. Brenda Sewell Fulton is an out lesbian who is currently the chief administrator of the New Jersey Motor Vehicle Commission. She fought against Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And Sean Skelly is an out trans woman who's the former director of the executive secretariat in the Department of Transportation under the Obama administration. Some big titles here. (laughs) If confirmed, she'd be the highest ranking trans person in the Department of Defense. As I was reading the story, I was really struck by the contrast with the Trump administration, in particular, going from banning trans people from the military to now having a presidential administration that is putting them into such high ranking positions. Yeah, I agree. And I, th- I think that beyond the fact that these are you know, two highly qualified individuals who, who deserve these positions for reasons beyond their LGBTQ identities, I think it's also a really clear message from the Biden administration that you know we're not only going to lift these bans that the Trump administration put on, but we are going to absolutely welcome and embrace LGBTQ people in all facets of government from the highest levels on down. I was also just thinking that this is so, so important, you know, thinking about some of the decisions that the Trump administration made that impacted LGBTQ plus people on such a granular level, and in particular trans people in the military, that it seems so important to actually have a trans person involved in making Mm -hmm. some of these policies that just help ensure that people can continue doing their jobs or remain in the positions that they're in, or they won't lose their health care. You know, they'll be able to get their retirement, things like that. So it just, it feels like really important. This is not an amazing, 
interesting conclusion or discovery that it is important to have people who understand how these laws impact folks on a personal level actually being the ones to make some of those decisions. Absolutely. And and I think that what's, you know, especially exciting about these two people is that they have a history of actively fighting against anti-LGBTQ policies and anti-women policies and in the military. And so I, I think that, you know, these are people who already know how to stand up and speak out against policies that aren't working for the LGBTQ community. And so I think, you know, we have every reason to believe that, that we now, if, if they get confirmed, we'll have two more voices in the Department of Defense that are actively fighting for equitable access. Mm. Well, finally, I'll be talking to Representative Park Cannon shortly. Um, you covered her story before she made headlines recently. She was elected at just 24 years old and already reelected for her third term in the Georgia House. What are some of the big issues that listeners should keep in mind as I chat with her? I interviewed uh, Representative Cannon almost a year ago, and, and she continues to stand out to me as someone who, who is just so passionate and cares so deeply about making progressive change in Georgia. And specifically, she uh, has spoken out a lot for reproductive justice and LGBTQ rights. I know she's a founding member of Georgia's Equality Caucus. And most relevant right now, she is known for speaking out against Georgia's most recent um, voting law, I believe SB202. And she has been fighting for Georgia voting rights long before uh, what she's been doing recently. Um, I know when I interviewed her, she spoke to me about uh, being assigned to a special Fulton County task force um, just to advocate for more funding in order to have better voting access uh, in Fulton County. And so this is something that's been really, really important to her for a very long time. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about all of these issues because I feel like if you have a queer perspective, it really, you know, one of the things you mentioned is reproductive justice. You know, I'm sure that our listeners will learn about how that framework impacts so many of these issues. And, you know, they're not just in a silo. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not sure if she's still practicing, but she was a queer doula as well. And so I know she she really, um, really has a lot of uh, a lot of strong beliefs about the importance of, of reproductive justice um, in the LGBTQ community. Well, I'm really excited to talk to her. So thank you so much for that context. And thanks for joining to get through these stories. Um, Molly, where can our listeners find you? You can find me uh, at my website, mollystory.com. You can find me um, all over LGBTQ Nation as well. I'm, I'm writing there every week. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Now to my conversation with Representative Park Cannon, a Democrat representing Georgia House District 58 since 2016. Welcome. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so glad to have you on the LGBTQ Nation podcast. It's been quite a month and we're going to get into all of it. But um, starting off on some LGBTQ topics, being queer connects to so many issues, including bodily autonomy from reproductive health to police brutality and the right to be safe to exercising other rights. When I think of all these things, I think of them as interconnected. And I wonder if that's informed the way that you legislate. To be honest, the legislative process is so important to include narratives of disparate communities that our team banks on public input. 
in these conversations. As one of the only queer elected officials in the United States, Georgia actually has impressed me. We got our first queer state senator this year. And so we're like the House and Senate queer community, um, which means that we have been reached out to by schools saying, hey, we're trying to change our curriculum a little bit and include some new facts on LGBTQ elected officials. Would you speak with our middle school or our high school? And the work that we've been doing in the communities, I think, is finally at this moment for the LGBTQ world starting to be shown through more elected officials. Now, you mentioned the queer crew that is in the state legislature. You were elected at 24. Did you always plan on saying that you were an out queer person? Were you ever hesitant about the role being queer would play as a lawmaker? When I decided to run for office, our family and our friends, we had to sit down and say, is this a coming out tour or how are you going to navigate a conversation with a church member who might love to praise with you, but might not know that you love someone of the same gender? So are you going to now do a campaign that is full of identity politics? And we had to really realize, no, We're simply making sure that our lived experience is being told. The truth is being told. And as LGBTQ members in Georgia, we've got some work to do. There aren't any folks of the trans community who are elected in the state house or Senate in Georgia. And we have some staff members in my team who are um, proud members of the trans community, yet they still get misgendered. So we have a long way to go, even though George has kind of impressed me. I, I do want to talk about everything that's just been happening the past couple of months in Georgia. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned that you were recently arrested simply for knocking on the governor's door, doing your job as a lawmaker to get information about what was happening with the elections bill. The charges were dropped and it was this whole thing was widely viewed as just really outrageous. How are you holding up? What has been happening since? Thank you for asking. That's really nice. And that's kind of how our community does. We take care of each other. So there's been some queer meal trains going on. I've definitely got my fair share of sage and, um, you know, almond butter. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds about right. (laughs) But in the meantime, just trying to heal. You know, I posted one of those days rest today so we can fight again tomorrow. And I'm still waiting for tomorrow. Mm. But we are at the same time, you know, getting a full medical report. And I'm just thankful that people have really been able to see and to act. And the kindness has certainly been expressed and appreciated. Mm -hmm. Can you walk us back just a little bit for our listeners? What exactly, you know, a lot of people have been following along the headlines about the Georgia elections bill. Can you talk a little bit about just what it does, break it down a little bit for us? Senate Bill 202 is no longer moving through the legislative process. It is signed into law. So we just want everyone to get on a know your rights campaign. Just 
get to know the 98 pages that were not visible to the public before it was passed. So the first, second, and third pieces that are not only relative to Senate Bill 202, but also many of the other voter suppressive measures around the United States are these three. One is doing this without a fiscal note, without determining how much will this cost our counties. The second is increasing some form of criminality at any point in the voting process, whether that's registration, casting the ballot, or actually the decision-making about the ballot. And then, of course, the third would be these human rights types of violations and the criminality on top of that. So now you can't give food and water to people waiting in line. And here in District 58, the nation watch back in June when we had our elections, there was a polling place that had a six hour line. It was called Park Tavern. That's one of our polling places. So I served not only because I'm the state representative for that polling place, in you know the county fix it board um not just because of that but because we had to be very strategic we had to look and see if we're going to have a drop box in these three places how does that disproportionately impact voter turnout and let's be real about it when the lgbtq community votes sometimes we're going with ids that don't make us feel very comfortable Mm -hmm. so There has to be sensitivity as we do legislative fixes or additions or changes on our voting system. And Senate Bill 202 has a lot to get to know. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the sensitivity and you you mentioned that piece about not being able to give people food and water when they're in these incredible, these, these really long lines just to exercise their right to vote. And I feel like that is a a new creative level of evil in terms of walking back people's rights and just criminalizing um, folks trying to go out to vote. To me, it's like a new creative level of terrible. Par for the course here in Georgia. But we do know that the commitment that voter rights groups have to doing these Know Your Rights trainings are on the up. So everyone is in alignment. We are ready. We realize that there are elections that are happening in just a few months. For example, here in the city of Atlanta, all of our local races, mayor, city council, and that's where we actually have seen some LGBTQ candidates run really fun, punchy campaigns. We've done drag fundraisers for city council races. And so we look forward to it. Um, But knowing at the end of the day, we have an openly gay Fulton County board chair for our elections. Um, Alex Wand, he served on the city council. He's, you know, helped out with a lot of national groups for LGBTQ elected officials like the Victory Fund. He was appointed our elections director. So we are at the center of voting as LGBTQ people. We are a significant voting block. And I really just want to support everyone 
getting out to vote this year. Well, you mentioned get out the vote efforts. And after witnessing Georgia's historic Senate election and role in the presidential election uh, going blue, and especially the organizing work of Black women, what has it been like to witness SB 202, to witness lawmakers draw up that legislation? We worked overtime. I am so serious. We were in a bunch of Google Sheets with all of these bills on it. And Google Sheets are like an Excel spreadsheet or a coding platform for a bunch of information. And, you know, we would have the bill in one column. We would have if the federal bill HR1 is passed, will it negate some of those efforts? How much will this cost counties in another column? And we were perusing all of these bills at the same time. So I am that millennial you want to be your secretary. I am the one who is in there taking the notes, Mm -hmm. taking the minutes. So I like, you know, the legislative process. I really do. I know that the bills kind of take the air out of the room and cause fear and stoke anxieties and codify conspiracies, but we have a team of millennials and we're just working our way through the legislative process in Georgia. You mentioned um, the various LGBTQ candidates um, who sound really fun and exciting and who doesn't want to go to a drag event. What are the, the next steps for addressing these voting restrictions and really keeping up this momentum for the midterms? We've all just processed uh, the presidential election, the Senate election. I know we're already looking forward to the midterms, but how do you think folks keep up the momentum? we realized that we had more LGBTQ people run for office than ever last year. And we were actually really successful. We've only created the main kind of hub and network of LGBTQ elected officials for 30 years. So 30 years of progress as we continue to categorize ourselves into this elected official category to say, In 10 years, we're hopeful that we'll have queer members on school boards and specifically trans folks on school boards. We can get this finite as a community to even sometimes get through partisan lines. I always give this example of working on this HIV decriminalization bill right now. It passed the House last year. It didn't pass the Senate. It passed the House this year. It didn't pass the Senate. So we're still working on making sure that people's non-disclosure, because their viral loads are suppressed or they're on ART, I mean, what is the reason why we're still stigmatizing people, you know, via law? We're really trying to build on those strides. And even though those bills didn't, didn't pass this year because the voter suppressive measures were underway, we were able to get the... Um, sentencing, the felony sentencing down from 10 years to five years to not a felony. And so in the time frame that we're all voting for people, just know you're voting for issues. Issues are always moving in the mm. legislative process. So regardless of those factions or changes in the, the actual political players, these bills are still alive and will be taken up very soon. Yeah. And you mentioned the uh, HIV bill that you're working on. And we actually previously had your colleague, um, Representative Vernita Shannon, on the podcast. And literally, as I was interviewing her, there was an anti-trans bill that was introduced in Georgia. What's going on with that bill? Do you have plans to fight it? What's happening? We have to remember that we actually have 
representation as LGBTQ people in the House and the Senate. So for once, our community really is not alone in either chamber. We have been watching these bills. We have been talking to the advocacy groups. We've been coalescing with families and community members who have already said, I will make this decision to come and testify on this bill. But you can't testify because it's Zoom and the legislative process has been different this year. And so the way that we as out LGBTQ House and Senate members fought these measures was very much um, from the corporate accountability angle, from the human rights angle, from the criminality angle. And so if you have those stories, we do want people to share those with us. But for now, those bills are not able to be taken up until January of 2022. Mm. So we kind of have to wait until uh, until next year to see see what's going to be going on there. Correct. So just to kind of wrap us up, as a queer millennial, do you have any advice for other LGBTQ plus folks who want to run for office? You kicked off this conversation, basically encouraging folks to jump in and run. I mean, how does one, to me, it seems so daunting. Like, how does one even go through making that decision? And then what are the first things that you do? I want to encourage everyone to run for office and let you know that the pathway is still being created. This is more of an ideation session for us as the queer community on how public policy can be shaped by our presence. This is powerful. This is what we are here to do. I wrote a book. It's called The Universal Guide to Running for Office. And I started off with a playlist. The playlist is 24 songs that keep me motivated from since deciding to run for office at age 24. And beyond really having that inner joy, that inner funk and fun that we bring as a queer community to any space. Okay, let's be honest. Um, (laughs) But we have to do that as we run for office. We need to be able to share, you know, the joys and the community ideas that we've learned. So I talk about what it takes. I talk about having a kitchen cabinet, which is this kind of just idea that like you have your salt, you have your pepper, you have your cinnamon. Maybe your cinnamon is your media person who you can't talk right now, but you'll get back to them. Mm -hmm. Everything will be cool. Um, You know, you have your time, the person who keeps you on time, the person who, actually helps you call people and stay on the clock and make sure that you're fundraising. So running for office as the LGBTQ community member is an honor and a privilege. And I ask you to join. Okay, well, going to have to learn more about the cabinet and, you know, who's going to be every single spice. Um, But listen, Representative Cannon, thank you so much for taking the time to join me to chat with me. It was just truly delightful getting to talk to you. Um, Where can folks follow along with everything that you're up to? Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy that we're chatting, even though we're in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing the hope in our friends and family recently. You know, we've been vaccinating and quarantining and doing all the testing and all the things we need to do to finally get together a little bit and maybe see each other. So you might see me out in the community and everyone who knows me knows your girl is around town. 
But other than that, please follow me on our Facebook and Instagram pages, search Park Cannon, and we'll see you there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Each week after we talk about the news, I like to leave you with a story that's bringing me joy. A far-right politician in Australia made a proposal to ban anything that promotes gender fluidity or sexuality in education, and during hearings on the proposal was completely raked by a trans health expert. And you know what? We love to see it. Teddy Cook is a health educator and trans advocate, and he delivered an incredible testimony about how trans kids should be affirmed at school. He started off on a personal note. You might not hear this over the course of this hearing, but I wanted to say this really upfront and clear. It wasn't always the case, but I really love who I am today, and I really love being trans. You might not have heard that, but I want that to be clear. With all of this legislation, the voices of trans people have been so sidelined, and trans kids are being taught to hate and hide themselves, so this was a powerful start. He continued. i got to say, in many ways, I really wish the trans community was as big as members of this committee seem to think that we are. You do seem to see us as a threat, which is, which is interesting, and I do hope that you know some actual trans people in your life. I hope that I'm not the first one you've met. The reality, though, is that we aren't powerful enough to disrupt the culture of this country. Many of us, even though we're incredibly resilient, are just trying to get through the day, really. We aren't the threat you imagine us to be, even as we come together to protest in this very room earlier today. As we continue to confront the wave of anti-trans bills in the U.S., Teddy's testimony was so compelling because he reminded these lawmakers, who, like he said, maybe never met a trans person before, that there are people being targeted by these laws and that children are vulnerable and deserve dignity like the rest of us. Finally, I'll give him the last word for today's show. The reality is that trans people have always existed. We've always been here. We have place and culture and ceremony in First Nations populations across the, across the globe. For people to talk about us like we're a Western, modern construct is, is a lie. It's just not true. Please make sure to support the LGBTQ Nation podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review our show right now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars, please. And check out LGBTQ Nation every day at www.lgbtqnation.com. LGBTQ Nation has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. LGBTQ Nation is hosted by Alex Berg, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered by Katrina Henning, music by Gabe Lopez, executive produced by Joe Cilio, Scott Gatz, John Halbach, Bill Browning, and Melissa D. Mons. Forever! Forever.